Who are you? Here's the truth of who you are. So when we look at working with the unconscious mind, the ultimate goal is to integrate the conscious and the unconscious mind. Okay. Because what we find is, you know, talk about the conscious mind as being the goal setter and the unconscious mind being the goal getter. All your memories in the past should be positive or neutral. And if they're not, it just means you haven't learned everything that you needed to learn from that experience. People's beliefs and their values and their memories and their language and their decisions and all but make part of their filters so that when the information comes in, you can only take in the information that matches what's inside you. So let's not keep you waiting any longer. This is Lead Podcast. I hope you're listening. Tony, thank yes. you for being here today. Sally, thank you for inviting me. It's a uh, pleasure. I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and tell us about your what you do currently and the areas that you specialize in. Okay, so uh, my business is Tony Brad Coaching, and on paper, it says that I am a trainer of NLP, hypnosis, timeline therapy, NLP coaching, and ultimate consciousness. It sounds all very official. Mm-hmm. And essentially what I do is work with people on their minds. Uh, NLP is all about creating excellence. So the interesting thing about NLP is nothing in NLP comes from NLP. It draws on all the other sciences, hypnosis, psychologies, and looks at, okay, when we've got excellent results, what is the structure of that? What is the process? So really a lot of the work I'm doing is like unpacking how is someone doing a behavior? So we always look at how are you doing it rather than why do you have it. So it's looking at structures of behaviors and changing them into the kind of behavior, the structure that's going to give the out- outcomes that you want. So I work a lot in the space of, um, well, I teach people how to coach and be therapists and, and those kinds of things. And I also work a lot with business owners. So I like working with people who essentially want to achieve great things they want to be helping people they want to grow they want to be more of who they are and and make an impact in the world and in that there can be all kinds of things that hold people back so a lot of old emotional baggage from the past where people hold on to anger sadness fear hurt guilt and you know from that perspective we look at that all your memories in the past should be positive or neutral and if they're not it just means you haven't learned everything that you needed to learn from that experience. So I help people process that information so they can let that go. Also things like limiting beliefs um, that people hold in their mind, it all becomes filters of the information you receive. So um, people's beliefs and their values and their memories and their language and their decisions and all but make part of their filters so that when the information comes in, you can only take in the information that matches what's inside you. And so when we change those filters, we can change the information people take in. It changes the internal representations they create, affects their physiology and the state they have, and then ultimately their, their behaviors and, and their more outcomes. more clarity? More clarity, absolutely. We look at people getting more clarity. Often people have internal conflicts, and uh, internal conflicts essentially come from where a part is formed in the unconscious mind and that part can have its own values and beliefs. So, you know, often people say, on one hand I think I should do this, on one hand I think I should do that, or I just always feel conflicted about these things. There's part of their neurology that's 
has a separate boundary to the rest of it. And these things are all formed linguistically. So we know language plays a big part in what happens in people's thinking and the problems that they create for themselves. And uh, so if we look at NLP being neuro-linguistic programming, it's looking at your neurology, language, and then programs that people run to get their behaviors. And so everything else sort of runs off of that. Hypnosis is, is a big part of where NLP come from, timeline therapies come from. Um, combination of hypnosis and NLP. Um, coaching, of course, is just a natural part of that. And then ultimate consciousness is where we look at, okay, so if we, we can work with the conscious mind and the unconscious mind, we know we can create changes. But then there's also the higher conscious mind, which is essentially the truth of who someone is behind their conditioning, behind the societal, cultural, familial conditioning. It's like, okay, who, who are you? Who's the truth of who you are? And having people connect in with that helps them just raise into that space of possibility where, where they achieve great things. So NLP, as you mentioned, is, um, have three components where, from my understanding, stands for your, your thinking, your behavior, and your language. Can you break them down a bit more? Yeah. So if we look at the neuro, the neurology, we, we receive information through our five senses, right? So there's visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, and gustatory, which ends up being the pictures, the sounds, feelings, tastes, and smells. And so that's the information that comes in to us. And then if we look at the linguistic part of it, it's all about com communication, both verbal and nonverbal. So we look at how are we, um, our body language, uh, you know, all of the different things that come into that communication. And then the programming is that we all run strategies for everything that we do. So you have decision-making strategies, you have strategies about how you get into relationships, how you find a job, how you, you know, brush your teeth in the morning. And those strategies are basically made up of pictures, sounds, feelings, and they're just put in certain orders. And so we know that when we want to create change, we create change in the way those internal representations are held. You can create change in the, in the behavior. So for example, if we look at uh, how does someone make a decision when they go shopping? All right, there's a strategy behind that. And um, so if I was to say, you know, to you, then I really like your shirt. Did you buy it yourself? No, it was a gift. It was a gift. Oh, <laughs> well, that's nice. What about your shoes? Did you buy those yourself? Uh, I did. You did? Were you by yourself when you bought those shoes? I was. Yes. And did you buy them in a store? I did. Yes. So tell me about how how did you buy these, these shoes? So you were at the shop and what happened? Did they just... Uh, walked into the shop. I was looking yeah. for brown shoes. I was contemplating between boots and derbies. Um, then I started chatting to the employee who works there. Um, that dragged for a bit and me being a very talkative person took a while. Um, I almost bought another shoes. Last minute I changed my mind. I ended up going with these shoes. Yes. So, so you saw a, these shoes. Yeah. Yeah. You talked to someone. Yep. Yes. Did you? I tried. You, just, you tried them on? Two other pairs of shoes. Um, it came down to two, the one I'm wearing now and the other one, um, almost bought the other one. And last minute I went, no, I like these ones. Yes. And so you, you saw them, 
you spoke to someone, you tried them on. Mm-hmm. Was there any other factors in the decision that you made about buying them? Was there any? Um, how would they go with my clothes? Um, would Selena like them? My partner? Yeah. That was there. Um, are they worthwhile the investment? Yeah. You know, how much they cost? Yeah. Um, what sort of shoes? Is it really worthwhile? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. So even if we look at that, there's an element we would say, okay, so your decision-making strategy there was there was visual because you saw them. There was auditory because you spoke to someone about it. There was kinesthetic because you tried them on. Yep. And then there was some kind of self-talk about are they the right price for my partner. Yeah. Them, those <clears throat> kinds of things, right? And generally that's how people will that's how you'll make decisions about things. So that theme is essentially more or less always the same. You will go through different, um, you know, uh, self-talk or different pictures or different conversations, yeah, different, criteria. But the different criteria, but the reality is you always actually hit these five components. Yeah. Well, well, when or not necessarily the five, they could be three, four, okay. generally depending. Yep. And a good strategy is usually about three or four. Elements. Okay. But yeah, you'll find that normally if you go and buy things, that's what you will do is that you look, look, does it look like the right thing? I'm looking for something. Do you normally talk to someone or not necessarily? I do. Yeah, you normally talk to someone and then you like to try it on. Yep. And then you make some kind of. Yep. And because I used to work in retail, I definitely, you know, go through what's the quality, what's the investment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Ali knows that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so the interesting thing about that is that you can feed that strategy back to someone as well. So, for example, um, you know, if I had a project that I thought you might be interested in, if I said to you, I said, you know, um, I mean, if you have a look at this project and we have a bit of a chat about it, and I think, you know, you'll get a bit of a feel that it's the right thing for you, and, uh, you know, it's probably going to work in well with what your partner likes and the cost is going to be right, you know, would you be interested? I would. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see, like, he's nodding, right? And so they're, they're the things that fire off for people. So right. when you can understand people's strategies and how they do things, you can either use it for both ways. You can feed it back to them to help them make decisions that are good for them, that they're happy with, they feel good about. Or in another situation, for example, I had a client who had a problem shopping so he was he his strategy was i see it i like it i buy it so he had this problem and of course with it i see it, i like it i buy it there's no thinking about is it the right price can i afford it is it in my budget anything else we're spending too much money so we created a new strategy where we added in that step so you see it you like it and then you look at the price and check is that gets hardwired Essentially, yeah. in your, I suppose, like in your network, and every time you go shopping, you run that same code. You can actually install that, those strategies. Yeah. I love this because basically, we're just saying that every single decision that we make on a daily basis, we have a strategy behind it, even though it could be completely subconscious. Yeah, absolutely. Most people are very unconscious about their strategies and the processes that they go through. Yeah. But it happens so fast and on such a deep level that sometimes it even, I suppose, believe that's happening. Mm. When you become aware of it, though, it becomes really interesting because then you can get back to this kind of self-awareness. 
Um, and you know, as much as I coach people, I, I, a lot of what I do is teaching because I believe everyone should be their own best coach. You have that self-awareness. You can be aware of when something's coming up in me or I've got some behavior that's not working for me, that I can have awareness of that and create change. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's interesting information to have. Yeah. And the other thing that was in, interesting that you said about um, that you tried on a couple of pairs of shoes. So people have a um, uh, convincer in their decision-making strategy. So how many things do they need to look at? Mm -hmm. And yep, that's definitely a benchmark for me. Yeah, because you saw those shoes straight up and then had to look at some other ones. Yeah, and go back and buy them. Because I almost never see something I like and I try and I buy. I will always try something else. My brain loves comparative analysis. Mm. Just loves it. How many mm. things we need to look at? Oh, just at least one more thing. It's fine. At least one more thing. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like a few. Yeah, yeah, because two, sometimes three things, but like yeah. generally at least one more thing. If I really love it, that's it. I'll at least try just one more thing. I need to leave going to myself, you know, I did try something else. Not that. It's this. It's like a... It, what about you, Ali? I don't know. It's enough about my shopping habits. <laughs> no, my strategy is usually know exactly what you're buying before you enter the store because I have this habit. Now, it's so funny you're talking about this because now I can relate it to my everyday work because if I'm not decided on what I'm buying before actually going to the store, I can't decide what is it that I want. So an example, talking about shoes, I went to uh, a shoe store to buy these shoes. It took me an hour and a half. I was trying wow. so many different things because I didn't know what to buy. Now I can now relate it to my work because when I given a certain problem to solve, I tend to explore ten different avenues. And the only thing it does, it actually makes me anxious and nervous that I'm not getting there on time. It makes so much sense. <laughs> Click. Uh huh. Fantastic. My job here is done. Yes. So how do we change that? How do we change it? Well, the, the first process thing, of decision making. Um, well, it depends. Well, you're looking at is if there's a there's a poorly formed strategy. Do you mean like you're yeah, yeah. outcomes? Let's, yeah. let's talk about it. I want to put a leadership sense on it because biggest part of a leader is making like rapid decisions. Sometimes fast. Sometimes you have time to think about to make decisions. How do you first realize your strategy that you use to make decisions, and then if you're not liking their strategy or if their strategy is not effective how do you then change that yeah i guess we can look at that from a bit of a different sort of aspect because absolutely when you're in that fast decision making space um there was a research that was done i'm trying to think where i can't i probably can't name it now but they found with leaders and people that could make fast decisions what was some of that that happens in there and they said that it was they were very intuitive in that they had good connection to their unconscious mind and those kinds of things. So, you know, it was a, it was a study mostly, mostly talking about what's more important, conscious or unconscious, and they found that they're both as equally important. But I guess the other aspect to that is, um, is whether people are okay with uncertainty, whether they're okay with um, failure. We, we would say there's no failure, there's only feedback anyway. So those factors will all come in as well because what does normally stop people from making decisions most commonly is fear, right? It's fear, what if I make the wrong decision? What if someone says something? What if there's some kind of outcome? So having, you know, it's looking at well, 
what's stopping me from making a decision and getting that awareness around that. So sometimes it can be internal conflicts, like I was talking about before, where you know people will talk about, well, my heart says this, but my head says that. You know, so they can be internal conflicts, and they're things that you need to resolve at an unconscious level, and that will make it easier for people to make decisions. So, so I guess really, there's depends on the context. It depends on the situation. But I think definitely having flexibility in behaviour, um, you know, having certainty within yourself that you're okay with uncertainty. Um, you know, knowing what is your intention behind the decision that you're making. So this is one of the things that I, I you know, talk a lot to my students about is that, you know, I know that I am always leading with an intention of that I want a good outcome, that I'm looking for a win-win situation or looking at ecology. You know, we always look at ecology as well. Is it good, this decision going to be good for the person? Is it going to be good for their team, the business, community, the planet? And if you know that you're in ecology and that, you know, you're, you kind of map out, okay, I can deal with the consequences, people can make a lot faster decisions. Quick one, can you please take a second and follow us on any platform you're listening from? It will help more than you know. Thank you. I think I'm tying it back to the self-awareness piece and actually understanding your values. Because most of the decision comes from your values, right? Someone's values will definitely, you know, one of the things that I do when I work with people really deeply is elicit their values in, in a specific context because people have different values in relationships to business to, you know, family, whatever. And when you get exactly what people's values are, and I'm not talking about showing people a list of nice words and saying pick out the ones that relate to you because that's nice but it's not really what people are motivated by. You find that people's values are quite abstract. So we talk about them as being normalizations in language and that their process turned into a noun essentially. But in those values there will be... Uh, Part of it, why that's important to them is, is because they're things that they want to move towards. And part of it, you'll be motivated because there's things they're trying to avoid. So if we look yeah. at, say... So running away from and running towards. Yeah. So if we look at, for example, money, right? Money is always an easy kind of example. If you ask someone, you know, why is money important to you? Someone might say, well, it's important to me because... Uh, you know, I like to provide for my family. I like to, you know, spend money on my growth and development. I'd like to donate money, whatever that might be. They would all be moving towards things. Someone else might say, well, money's important to me because I don't want to be broke. You know, i got to pay my bills. Uh, I've lived in scarcity. I've lived in these yeah. environments. Yeah, and so that will be, they'll be motivated away from something but what happens then in in values and why it's so important about whether we're motivated towards or away from is that when you're motivated away from what you don't want, when you get far enough away from that, you lose motivation. And so you can end up back where you were. So we see this. Because that's known. Well, you end up where you were. Okay. Yeah. The motivation to get away from that diminishes. And yeah, it is what you've known. And if that's what your focus is on, you just end up back with more with what you're focusing on. Interesting. Mm. 
So this is what we see in people that have like the boom and bust kind of cycles. Um, weight loss, people lose a heap of weight and then they put it back on again. And, um, you know, any of those kind of cycles where people, you know, put in effort and they achieve something and then end up back where they were, you can guarantee that their, their motivation is away from the thing that they end up back with. Mm. You know, like I've heard I think uh, this analogy probably in different contexts. Can't remember where, but I've probably tested a few times when I'm feeling a bit confused. But what am I doing? Why am I doing all these different things? And what's happening here? It's it's often two questions: What am I running away from, or what am I moving away from, or where am I going? Like, where is this going? Mm. Um, yeah, like these two questions, and they often just trigger the right like quest thoughts. Like from there, you start asking the big questions, and you stare at a paper and start journaling, and go, "Wow." Yeah, okay. you can literally say, okay, so in a particular context, what's important to me about this? And just write down the things that come. And then for each one, you say, okay, why is this important to me? And you'll be able to hear in the language, why is that towards or away from? And then essentially what we do is we clean up all of that away from stuff. And, um, and then you become motivated towards what it is that you want. And then that becomes really clean and easy to make decisions and, and, and move forward. One of the things that I see that is very common is the imposter syndrome. The people constantly doubting themselves, whether you're in a leadership position, you would get a new job, you have a new promotion, and you're constantly like, nah, I don't deserve this. Mm. How does someone go about fixing that? Yeah. Yeah, and it's quite common, you know, it's, it's really common. And it, it, like I said, it comes up where people, how people see themselves and how they see what's required of them are different, that they think that they're different sort of people. Um, and so the work around that is, is really just feeling into it. It's knowing, okay, like listening to what is the self-talk? Because when we say imposter syndrome, okay, it's, it's a nice word, but how are you doing that? Okay, so we were looking at what is the process of you doing it. So, you know, is it like um, pictures that you have in your mind? Is it things that you're saying to yourself? Are there certain feelings that come up? And when you become aware of those things, right, you can challenge them and you can change them because, um, you know, one of the key things we always talk about is that you need to focus on what you want, okay, and you've got to be fully aligned with that. So when you say focus on what you want, that means that the pictures that you're making in your mind, the things that you're saying to yourself, the things you're saying to other people, the feelings that you have are fully aligned with what you want. So if you're just saying, oh, yes, no, I can do this role, I can do this role, but in the meantime you've got feelings that say otherwise or you're making pictures that make otherwise, you're not congruent. And so there's going to be that, you know, that difficulty there. So it's, it's getting really clear on those things. What is, what is going on in the background and just challenging it? Like, is this true? That's what I say to people. It's like, you know, whatever that thought is or that belief that's coming up, just challenge it. Is this really true? And we know, we can tell whether it's true or not by how it feels, okay? Because the truth of who you are doesn't feel bad. It's only when we're... When we're Misaligned yeah. to our true self. Yeah, absolutely. There is... I did this workshop recently and we went through this framework. I can't remember, I think the whole variation, but it was happy where I think the plea was P. I forgot the H and A now, but P play with ideas. P, the second piece pause and the Y is the yes or the no. And it basically was about 
pretty much just like really stopping and breathing. And once you play with the ideas and paused, you should be able to feel if that's a yes or a no by how it makes you feel. Yeah. Well, I, I can't remember what the heck on but basically it was about decision making. Actually, it's about how do you make a decision that's really in line with your values as a person. Mm. Um, we tried to during the session. I think people like half of us. Some people laughing. Some like, oh, I felt something. But like, oh, we don't know. But I, like, I think I like to go. This is something you have to train. I don't think it can happen overnight. Mm. Um, particularly if you've been pretty misaligned from your values, you're not going to just do it like on the spot. Yeah, and people that are very in that logic mind and their conscious mind a lot, doing a lot of logical work, will generally find it harder to access their feelings. Mm. Uh, right. Yeah, so we talk, you know, dissociated is the word that's usually used when you're dissociated from your feelings. So people very much more into the self talk and the logic thinking and those kinds of things can find it, yeah, a lot. And dissociating from feelings, is that almost just a behavior you've picked up along the time or it's more of a, a serious mindset that okay I'm, i don't really want to worry about feelings it's not going to get me anywhere i just want to focus on my goals you know that kind yeah, of approach so i want to smash these goals is it, it a mindset be- or is this the behavior uh, well it definitely can come from you know kids aren't dissociated when they're young right they're all about feeling they're all about exploring everything mm. feeling everything you know um and so it's generally it's it's taught so it can be cases of where you know it might just be in the family that emotions weren't really expressed or talked about that can be you know a way that people become dissociated can be um you know child's being told off for being upset or crying you know don't be silly stop crying whatever and then that can be a way that they close down their emotions and don't access their emotions. So, um, well, again, like can be just that people are always in an environment where it's very much about logical thinking, and that's just where they're training their mind to be focused. So, um, yeah, so I guess it, it can be it can be part of both. But the thing is, you can always uh, you, you can always access both, and you know, studies have shown that it's we work better, we operate better, we. We relate to people better when we have access to, to both and that we're an integrated unit because our unconscious mind and our emotions all have, you know, a role to play. I think the word resilience is just this nice word, very similar to imposter syndrome. How do you truly genuinely understand or really self-assess if you do have a resilient mindset? Well, it is really interesting to see where, you know, where we are because one of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about is helping people get rid of their fears, right? Helping people get rid of their fears and being able to make decisions for themselves that's right for them. Because talking about trance and pandemics, there is a lot of collective... Fear-driven, yeah. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. Well, there is. I mean, that's you don't have to be you know anyone special to recognize that if you just turn on the local news tv radio you can hear it it's just fear driven and you know the thing is we know um is that when people are in fear they don't make good decisions you know they can't think for themselves you know shuts down the kind of frontal cortex area of their minds where they're able to you know think outside of the box and um so you know, really, the, the thing is, right, is that we, people need to know that they don't need fear. Fear doesn't keep you safe. Your intelligence keeps you safe. 
So, you know, if you had a fear of heights and I have to get rid of your fear of heights, you're not going to go and jump off a building, right? Because your intelligence tells you that that's not a good thing to do. And we also have, uh, you know, uh, uh, fight and flight sort of reflexes as well that keep us safe. So, you know, the really important thing is to, is to know that negative emotions like fear, for example, they serve a purpose. They're not for us to hold on to. They're not for us to operate from a space of. And so we want to be able to process those emotions and let them go. And so, you know, a lot of what happens is people feel some kind of negative emotion or feel something's bad and they resist it. And they're just like, oh, this feels horrible and I just want to do whatever I can to get away from it. But what we want to be able to do is process it and, and literally even say to ourselves, you know what, I'm feeling scared right now or I'm feeling angry right now or I'm feeling sad right now and and allowing that like processing that and going okay it's just it's something that's come up it's reaction to whatever's happening and I'm going to feel that and process that and let it go and move on you know one of the important things is sort of asking ourselves like okay well what can I learn from this experience what is there here for me to learn because it's the learning in that that gives us the skills to move on knowing that we can be okay in the decisions we make moving forward that will continue to keep us safe or keep us in a, in a good space. So I guess as far as resilience, I think the main thing really is being able to process what happens, you know, whether it's you, you can process it internally. Different people process differently, right? Some people process things internally. Some people have to talk externally. But you need to process those things through your system so that they, they're gone. Um, it's really interesting. There's a guy called uh, Gabor Mate who talks about the wisdom of trauma and he said that um, it's not the trauma that's the problem. It's the ability that people have to process it at the time. So for children, if they experience some kind of trauma but they're not able to talk to anyone about it or, you know, it's all closed down, they will carry that trauma. But another child could have similar trauma but had the experience where they had people there supporting them that they could talk to and and process that and and you know kill at that time and they can move on and it's not a problem for them so it's very much around that being able to process things as we go through them learning what we need to learn and and moving on knowing that we've we've grown in wisdom through going through that right that this is what happens I mean, if you look from a universal perspective there's there's no good and bad there just is it's the value judgment that we put on it so you know it's just learning from these things and finding perspective that helps you move move forward that is very interesting well victor frankl talks about this in man's search for meaning i don't know if you've read that book but i was listening to it and um he talks about um suffering and that if you can find meaning in your suffering, you can deal with it. It's okay. Like the example that stood out to me, he said he was um, working with a, a, an older man who had lost his wife and he was really suffering from the grief in that. And he said to him, he said, well, could you imagine what it would have been for, been like for your wife if you were to have passed first? And he said, no, no, I could never put her through that. And so he had meaning from her passing first that he saved her from that grief and then he could deal with it and, and move forward. This shows the power of perspective. Yeah. 
we get to the, towards the end of the podcast. But just, I do want to ask one more question. Uh, in the in the direction that we're heading in the we are heading in the world, and what kind of qualities you think our future leaders will need to head us to where we should go? Yeah, mindful and happy. Well, the things I think the way the where we're heading towards is that people need to have empathy. That's the biggest thing. People need to have empathy. You need to be able to look at the person sitting across you and from you and get a feel for what is going on for this person. You know, so it's getting out of being self-focused and being more outwardly focused. So that's a big one. Um, people need to be okay with uncertainty. You know, uncertainty is just becoming more and more prevalent in our prevalent. lives. Absolutely. And, you know, if we think about going back years, it's always been a lot of certainty, you know, and I guess you can, especially if you look at that from sort of industrial revolution and, you know, things, manuals, there's books, there's ways of doing things, there's right and there's wrong. Um, that's not going to, that's fading out, you know. There's a lot of different ways of how things are happening with situational management and, you know, people being okay with taking risks, people being able to um, to be able to have coaching conversations with people in their team um, and, you know, really moving in those directions, I think it's, it's looking at that a lot more personal kind of way of how are we relating to each other, how are we communicating with each other, how can we um, be able to influence other people in positive ways. Obviously, that's a lot about leading. It's like how can you influence people to be able to take action and be motivated to do the things that are going to have the outcomes that you know we want to achieve. Um, being efficient in that as well, being results driven. Um, so I think all of those things really tie in with where we're moving into and, uh, yeah. Great. So we'd like to end our podcast with a series of short questions. Um, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Wow, my 18-year-old self. <laughs> Don't get that tattoo that I've spent the last couple of years getting lasered off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't ask the next question about this. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> anything else? That's, anything, um, that's the only thing you would say to her? Look, you know what? I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, if I could only go back to my 10-year-old self or my 18-year-old self. And I think, you know, what a way to spoil the fun, honestly. Mm, okay. I, how, <laughs> I what a party had, pooper. <laughs> I would have had half the adventures that I've had if I knew what I knew now. And I think that's all part of the learning. Amazing. Mm. And if you were to reverse that, and what do you think your 18-year-old self would tell you today? Don't get rid of that tattoo! <laughs> <laughs> um, what would my 18-year-old self say to me? Um, wow, that's a real mind bender. Well, I don't think I've ever really considered that. What would my 18-year-old self say to me? Um, I like your choice in cars. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Good. <laughs> love it. Um, what does success, what mean, is success, success mean to you? Mean to me. And yeah. who does it remind you of? So success for me really... The, the big driver for me behind what I do is that I want to make a positive impact in the world. So, 
you know, when I, I first started, um, well, when I got my first coach, I was at a point in my life where I was like, you know what, I'm at a point where I should be doing a lot better job as an adult than what I'm doing right now. And there I got, I, I was like, okay, I can't blame anyone else anymore. I've, I need to really look at, I'm the common denominator here. So what's going on and, and do some work there. And in, in changing that, I made some huge changes that were really, really life changing for me. And, and I really wanted to be a good role model for my daughter. So my daughter's now 18, she's, she's nearly 19. And so I wanted to make these changes and it wasn't easy. You know, it was, it took a lot of introspect. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of facing stuff that I didn't necessarily know was there or even wanted to face, but I did. And that made a huge difference in how my life went from there. So I was like, okay, so I want to help other people do this. Like if I can change the crazy shit I got going on, I want to be able to help other people. And so, and then in doing that, I was like, this is so powerful. I can't reach enough people one-to-one you know, I need to be able to teach this. So I went to teach so that I can now teach other people. And so, so success, when I feel success is when I, when I see people, you know, completely change their life or achieve things that they weren't achieving before. And when I hear my students say, you know what, um, Tony, I've just helped a client and now, you know, they've got rid of depression or they've, you know, whatever they've achieved, right? Like that to me, I feel as though, um, I'm making something of my life. Like I'm making use of this opportunity that I have here and um, I feel fulfilled in that and I feel like I'm, you know, being a better person for everyone who I, who is around me um, and I'm not being a drain, you know, like I'm, I'm giving out positively. So that for me is success. Um, who, does it rem- who does it remind me of? Um look, I guess I think we're very blessed now that there's a lot of really positive female influences in the world now. Um, and I know that I've, I've been lucky enough to, to work with a lot of really positive women that, that are doing great things. So, um, I really have a great appreciation for people who go into business. Um, and, and because they're the people that are willing to sort of step up and say, you know what, I'm going to create something on myself. I can see that I can do something better. I can, I'm going to push through those challenges. And look, it's not just in business. We see this in leaders as well, of course, the people that want to make a real difference. But anyone in that space who's wanting to create change and make the world a better place, they're the people that I, I feel inspired by. Amazing. And what is happiness to you? What is happiness? Happiness to me is uh, is uh, disco music. <laughs> love it. Love so you're it. a dancer. I love. Yeah, I used to. I used to do a lot of dancing. Now it's more like lounge room kind of dance, disco dancing. But I do. I love music. I love music and I love singing. And I think you know, music is is, is a powerful thing for people. Um, do you mention you've got, um, an 18 year old daughter? Yeah. Right. Um, is she your only child? Yes. Okay. Beautiful. Might make the question a bit harder. So if you could really give her one gift in her lifetime and that gift had to be a book, what book would it be? Oh, a book. Um, 
There's a book, and I'm uh, the Secret Code of Success by Noah St. John is a is a brilliant book. Um, some of the key things that I I and I recommend this book to a lot of people um, is it talks about that. One of the key things is he says about you know everyone says that you got to believe in yourself first, right? And he said, but it's not exactly true. You know, you need to have someone else believe in you. And when you have someone else believe in you, you can build off of that. And it, and it's so true. And I guess this looks into the you know roles of coaches and uh, and, and people like that. Is like when you've got someone else who's just like sees you for who you really are and what you're capable of outside of any kind of existing relationship that they've had with you, that's really powerful, you know, and you can leverage so much off of that. So I think people knowing that and and making sure that they have people in their lives who can see that for them and really reflect that to them. Um, and another thing that comes out of that book, which is, is really quite cute, is, you know, have you heard of affirmations, right? Yep. So you have these affirmations, of whatever it is that you want to have. Well, and this comes back to that, um, you know, thing about you have to have heaps of repetition, right, to get through your conscious mind, to get to the unconscious where you want to have that suggestion. Noah St. John talks about affirmations, which is rather than posing it as a statement, you pose it as a question, okay? So what if? Why is it so easy for me to have my calendar booked full of clients? Why is it? You know, why do I have so much fun um, leading my team in my ultimate position, whatever that might be? And so, what that essentially is is a is an indirect suggestion. And so, when we make indirect suggestions, that goes into the unconscious mind. Okay, so we pose it as a question, and so the mind goes, "Oh, this is a question. I'm going to work out how what the answer is to it." And so you pose a question assuming that what you already have, that it's real. Um, okay, so you've spoken, I think, about the the impact you want, you want to make on the world and I really respect how your success or your definition of success um, ties back to seeing people actually having these breakthroughs. Um, is that... The, the ultimate impact you want to have on the world? Is it the ultimate impact? Is it having all these people around breaking through? Let's say everyone you've worked on, um, every person you've worked with, everything you've worked on um, succeeded, like worked. Would you say um, that's the ultimate impact, like the ultimate, I suppose, a ripple effect, like that's it? Or is there like a larger cause like a bigger cause behind it well you know i think if we look from like an evolutionary sort of um space there's a lot of work we talked a little bit about values um but there's there's a values evolution of values thinking like thinking that we go through right and this originated with the work of dr claire graves and then like in the 40s i think um he was around the time of like Abraham Maslow and that kind of stuff. And then I think around the eighties, um, 
Don Beck and Chris Cowan picked it up and they talked about spiral dynamics and then more recently Dr. Adriana James has, has written a whole book on values but it talks about how our evolution of thinking goes through these different levels, right? So basically from survival to sort of like clan tribe to like raw aggression to systems to entrepreneurial to save the planet and then once we, we go through all these levels and we get into the more interdependent kind of thing where there's situational management and it's more results in a, an efficiency and and you've got rid of all of these lower level fears right so so people's when when we help people get rid of their fears they can evolve their thinking right so they can get into a bigger space so if you can imagine that in the world there was no fear right there was no fear no no one's got fear of scarcity or, or lack or loss or you know, being overpowered or anything else, it would solve so many problems, right? <laughs> and, and so in a global perspective, you know, that's, that's awesome. And if we think about it, well, you, you can go into another kind of thing of looking at our, our evolution of our consciousness, you know, the same kind of thing. If we, you know, we believe that we're more than what we just show up in this human form, that we, we have consciousness that's evolving as well and all the lessons that we we're learning to go through that space you know if we can get our planet moving up in that way collectively evolving collectively yeah absolutely that you know that's a good thing that'd be incredible that would be incredible and the thing and it's in part of it you can go oh well that's such a big thinking like how can we have that impact but this is the thing that we know is that if you start looking at um, they can measure emotion, right? When you uh, are in that emotional scale from anywhere from like courage and above, so below you've got guilt and shame and anger and all that kind of stuff, anywhere from courage and above, you're giving out positive energy. So you can, someone who's at a really high vibrational rate and emotional space can positively affect thousands of people. Okay, so as much as we think, oh, well, the whole world, how do we do that? Well, just one person at a time because that person's going to have a positive effect on a whole bunch more people than what they're even consciously aware of. I love it. Tony, thank you so much for being here. I loved every single minute. Seriously, thank you. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me in and, uh, and great conversation, guys. This brings us to the end of another episode. We thank you for listening in and would really appreciate if you could follow us on whatever platform you're listening from. Until next time, you lead the way.